Technical schools are the gateway to most professional careers. They provide essential information for our trade, as well as an overflowing wellspring of useless knowledge to fill your brain with. From theoretical math you'll never use, to troubleshooting steps you'll never be allowed to do, one thing is for sure, you'll forget everything the moment you leave. This is Tech School, Tech Fool. So Six, what made you decide to become an aircraft maintainer? Well, I was really good with my hands and I really like to work on things like cars, models, etc. And part of it was because Uncle Sam told me to, (laughs) 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 you know, it was one of those roll of the dice where like, hey, your ASVET scores are this high so you can be anything. How is infantry, friend? Like, ooh, about that. That wasn't really the conversation. It was more like, I was the high ASVAB score and I wanted to be infantry. And then everybody was like, no, don't, don't be an infantry, do safe stuff. And so um, after a long heated debate with my parents, I said, you know what? I'm, I, I, like, I like working on stuff. I like turning wrenches. Aircraft mechanic it is. So, so what was your other options then? Uh, since you got, got to choose a- aviation maintenance a little bit, but what were your other options since you had a high ASVAB score, right? You wanted to do infantry with a high ASVAB. Yep. And military slash family slash yourself said, well, maybe I'll go do something a little different. But So with a high ASVAB score, what were your options other than aircraft maintenance? I mean, mine was high enough where I can pretty much have the pick of the litter of what I wanted to do. It was just a matter of what I wanted to do versus what was available versus when I wanted to go to boot camp. And my enthusiastic, fresh, freshly senior, freshly graduated, I wanted to leave like immediately. So I said, give me whatever is available now, whatever I can do at this very moment. And as long as it's not something where I'm shoveling shit, I'll do it. <laughs> and little did you know, you were still going to shovel shit to some form. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's like how to professionally shovel shit and hate your life doing it. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I was never uh, military, so I don't know how those things go. So um, I probably did take the ASVAB or some form of it at one point in time as a senior in high school, but... Uh, I could tell you I'm terrible at math, and so I can almost guarantee you I would have uh, been infantry, but the guy in infantry who, uh, as my dad says, is just a strong back and a weak mind. <laughs> that's, what, that's what my dad always told me. He's like, hey, that's just who I'm looking for, someone with a strong back and a weak mind. So I'd have been, like the, pa- I'd have been the pack mule. <laughs> you know, it's, fun- it's funny you mention that, man, because a lot of guys who join infantry are super freaking smart. Like you pull up their ASVAB scores under, and some of them are like 3.0, 3.6 or better GPAs, you know? And when you really think about it, it makes sense. Cause you got to be fairly smart to know how to read a map. And then you got to be pretty smart to, you know, be able to uh, lead people to know what routes to take and how to properly employ your, your scheme of maneuvers and stuff like that. So there yet yeah, don't grant it. There's some rocks in every form of life, especially in the infantry. Oh, sure. But uh, a good number of them are actually pretty smart, especially if you go into like the specialized things like recon, snipers, green berets, Delta force, you know what I mean? Those guys are top of the line smart. They just don't hear about it because they have like this, they have this media thing where like they just don't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're, 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 they operate in secrecy, which, which you would want. You don't want to be getting on uh, YouTube or the local news channel or national news channel and saying, Hey, uh, we got this unit. Uh, they're going to be moving here at this time. Uh, this and that, here's what they're going to bring with them. And here's who they're going after. Right. You know, that, you'll never hear that. So, right. And uh, I will say I I've touched wrenches on cars. Um, I've touched wrenches on telephones, but I've never, put my hands on an airplane before the service ever the most i've done as far as an airplane was riding it <laughs> yeah that, that's the same for me i never touched an aircraft prior to going to a and p school um always interested in av you know aircraft and aviation but i always wanted to be a pilot but uh as i said before strong back and a weak mind and uh, i didn't have the uh grades to uh become a pilot nor i guess the uh the body build i guess you got to be a pretty small frame dude for the most part, to uh, fly some fast movers, which is what you know, whatever kid wants to do. Growing up, I want to fly fighter jets, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody wanted to be uh, t- 
Tom Cruise and Top Gun. And little do you know, you end up going to be the guy who who drives the cargo plane from Tailspin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was the guy who got to clean lavatories. Yay, yay, Blue Juice. <laughs> so, so there used to be a joke when I was going through um, through technical school for to be an aircraft mechanic. They say, "Oh, you guys will get hardcore stick time. You know, you guys will be be working at stick." For hours upon hours, and I'm thinking like the pilot stick, right? Little little did we know he actually met like a broomstick. So you're gonna be working that broomstick for hours, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I, I remember some guy saying, "Well, you can't work on the aircraft past 12 hours." And they're like, "Cool, so my day is 12 hours." Oh no no no, you're gonna be there for 16 hours. Just the last four, you're gonna be pushing a broom. Like damn it, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> cleaning cleaning guys going back to that professionally shoveling shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can't work on the aircraft after 12. But uh, there's other things you can do, but but I don't wanna. Well, Uncle Sam got your ass now. <laughs> but, but Sarge, but Sarge. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, speaking of tits, cool man. Uh, I, I I've experienced this in college, especially now. Granted, it took me almost 14 damn years to go to college. My stupid ass, you know. Oh, I'm right there with you. Everyone that went I went to school with is probably working on their third doctorate and shit. Anyway, I remember um, like studying for a test, right? And you get all the notes from whatever the professor or the teacher gave you. And it's just like Elder Scroll of sh- stuff you got to memorize, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And then come test day, you go take the test and it's like X amount of questions, way less than what you thought it was going to be. And none of it covered the shit you just studied for. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you, need to, you need to know how to measure the bend radius of this line. Do this. You need to know how to scarf this patch back or scarf back this composite area and uh, how to do a proper layups with nine, you know, putting the plies at 45, 90%. You go into all this technical stuff and you get on there he says, I have a piece of toast in the color purple. What's my uh, max tolerance for uh, rigging these uh, prop blades? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Say that again? <laughs> so, so a little bit about that. When you go to get your licenses, right, especially in the Marine Corps, everything has to have a license, especially if you're working on planes, everything. I would tell you these tests, they're written to the crayon eater level. And I say that by, so like, you get a question is like, uh, what's the tolerance of this in reference to that? And then your choices are the answer, a wrong answer, pizza, and I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. what? Or, or all of the above. <laughs> right? Wait a minute. That's like, um, it's all the above. The answer, every time there's that, it's, the answer is always all the above, <laughs> right? <laughs> always all the above. D, the answer is D. Yeah, and then you find and you find out that was wrong. P- pizza was the answer. Like, damn it i knew it i knew it I, i'm I, I kid you not that's a real thing i wish i could screenshot that picture for you or that test the one of the answers was literally pizza and it had nothing to do with the with the question i yeah so it, it, it's almost idiot proof but we all know that idiots will find a way oh tell you life will find a way just like in jurassic park man like what we were saying earlier in the earlier episode stupid shit will happen and they they'll find a way to do it <laughs> yep Find a way to circumvent the system. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, so I guess in the military side of things is, so becoming an aviation maintainer, that's like pretty, I mean, that's kind of top tier, right? It's a highly sought after position, I would suppose, rather than digging foxholes all day and being a bullet sponge, as I heard one army guy call them Marines. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the, this was pre-crayon eaters. This was before everyone knew Marines ate crayons. <laughs> but, but yes, going back to your question, um, Something as, as technical as aircraft maintenance or aviation in general is highly, highly sought after. I mean, I think the, the next closest thing to aviation as far as highly sought after would be intelligence. You know, like military intelligence where like you get all the information from CIA, from drones and from special ops guys and you turn it into useful information for generals to make big wig decisions over. Create battle plans, do whatever they got to do. Okay. Yeah. And then the job security for in- intelligence, man. It, picture that. Like your secret to talk secret clearance you talk to big wig people your career path basically takes you to dc where you're talking to all kinds of big wigs so i mean you're pretty much set unless like you just straight up one day just i don't want to do this no more <laughs> right and then i guess i guess it's probably i don't know if it'd be a, a boring job right because it's a lot of data uh, data analysis and a lot of screen watching and a lot of whatever else so i don't know if it'd be boring per se because you're getting all this information from coming in from all over the world but I got to imagine like the stress level is relatively high because you got some general 
down the road at the Pentagon kicking on your door every day and saying, where's my where's my report? Or you have to have a report ready every morning. You know, it's a three page report, like not double spaced, you know, single spaced, right. written out in detail for that general the next day. So he can he can make some sort of decision with uh, Congress and whatever else trying to devise a battle plan and move forward. Right. So picture like in college terms, like you got a. 15 page paper with sources cited all APA style format and it's due every single day and you get a new assignment every day and it's all due 24 hours apart from each other. Yeah. And you, <laughs> and you, and you have to, and you have to cite your sources. Like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <Memory> meltdown. <laughs> oh no. It, it's like, it's like just, those people probably thought, Oh, I got out of college. No more, no more paper writing for me. Them days are done. Just kidding. You're doing it every day for the rest of forever. So I so I asked you how you got into the aviation side of things, and that was military-wise. For me, on the civilian side, I got out of high school, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was sort of, of apprenticing at a plumbing, heating, cooling company, doing plumbing, heating, and cooling, mostly running electrical wires and digging ditches and replacing uh, pipes in a basement where it was a sewage line that had burst. Yeah. And... Uh, and I remember this one job. I went to the base. I opened up the the storm doors to get into the cellar of this really old house, and the basement was half flooded with sewage. So I had to put waders on, like if you're going to go fly fishing, to get across the basement to close this line or to to replace the the pipe essentially. And I remember wading across it, and just the smell was horrendous. I had one of those like hazmat, you know, uh, radiation nuclear face mask on because the smell but i remember seeing albino frogs swimming in it that had been born and that had never seen the light of day and i was just like oh my god why why am i doing this you know but (laughs) but beyond that though like i love the electrical side of things and if i just stayed with it and became a journeyman and everything else it probably wouldn't be too bad of a gig being you know this far down the road but um but at that time i was uh i was given all those uh crap jobs you know pun intended for uh (laughs) By the owner of that company, so you know, shout out to the Wagner family. Um, he did that on purpose. Uh, Dave did that on purpose to force me to go to school. Say, hey, look, you know, do something more. But I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I definitely know, you know, I wasn't a terrible student, but I had to work my butt off to get a B in school. I was that I was that type of person. Like A's didn't come easy. I had to kill myself just to get a B. But I didn't really want to read books. I didn't really want to do take three years of unnecessary classes for a degree that I could hopefully get a job for uh, and come out in hundreds of thousands in debt on the other end. And my dad was hounding me every day. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All your friends know where they're going to school. What are you doing? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. And I saw you know an advertisement for uh, A&P school in Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics. And I was like, all right, I'll go there. I like aircraft. You know, I like aviation. But like I said earlier, I was more interested in the pilot side of things. Joke's on me. I never actually got my pilot's license down the road i just never never one did it maybe maybe one day so any of my any of our uh, pilot friends out there if anybody wants to uh train me and teach me uh, i'd gladly be willing to learn so anyways i went to amp school and that's that's how i got into aviation maintenance i mean i think that's a class up from literally professionally shoveling shit waiting and shit watching splinter and the ninja turtles swim alongside you in in the shit water <laughs> never treaded lumpy water everybody but like i said you know being in the apprenticeship at the time that's what you're going to be doing as an apprenticeship you're going to be doing all the manual labor you're the you're the ditch witch you know uh, literally the strong back and weak mind you give a you get a shovel and you're digging a ditch and you're doing all you're carrying spools of cables and carrying pipe from the truck to the job site and whatever else um and you do that for a while until you eventually go to uh to like your trade school for that right and become a journeyman and then the money obviously goes up and all those kind of things so so if i just stuck with it it probably wouldn't have been uh right now it would have been good you know i've had enough time in that i wouldn't be having to do those i'd be specialized you know so i could get the better jobs or i could you know your, your boss can put you on specific jobs that pay better because of your accreditations and all that stuff but uh but i didn't stick with it and that's okay and i got into aviation maintenance and it's not been uh it's not been a bad choice, you know. Like every career, you have your ups and downs, and like we said in our uh, episode zero, there's some nights where you're standing on the on the line at 3 a.m. going, "Where did I go wrong in life?" <laughs> <But I'm, laughs> right? It was at this point I knew I fucked up. <laughs> yeah who 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 did I who did I piss off for this to happen to me? You know, like I I'm paying for something I did in the past, and I don't know what it is, but I'm definitely paying for it now. But I think no matter what job you have, whether you're you know a blue collar worker 
or a, you know white collar sitting in a ivory tower um i'm sure you have days where you're like oh my yeah this is this is rough right it's instead of paying paying your debt in money you're paying your debt in like soul labor <laughs> yeah i mean essentially like what like working uh the corporates sometimes you know like i've talked to you before i mean there was many times you know being an aog or aircraft on ground maintainer wherever the plane broke you went and it was common to work 220 hours in two weeks the money was good but you're you're you were trading dollars for time and time doesn't come back and i've said this to people before man like overtime's great the money's great but at some point you know you gotta value your time more than the money you know yeah yeah and, and shout out to everybody who has to do those dirty jobs because you you're gonna hear at least from us that you guys are the freaking greatest because you're doing the jobs that nobody wants to do that everybody just takes for granted and as much as you guys don't feel like it and society doesn't feel like it you guys make the civilization function right yeah you're literally you're literally the backbone or in, in these times of this pandemic right you're you are the uh, the essential worker right like the the system the system the substructure the systems everything that keeps a city a town a country moving those are the ones who do it you know they're out there they're out there putting it in amen you know like how flashback like two years ago one year ago where no one would ever believe that a supermarket worker was an essential member of society you know yeah yeah the bag boy the the high school the teenager bag boy you know oh his job is not essential and sure enough now yeah I, He's 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 more essential than half the people I know. Now now you're trying to bribe said bag boy for a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> like, hey man, I know you got some stuff in the back. What's up? Hey, I need a, it, man. I need that two. I need that two ply. <laughs> there's a crisp crisp twenty in it for you. <laughs> more if you can get me a higher ply. <laughs> right. So going against going uh, going off topic to this crisp twenty, right? Um, whenever Marines come back from the field or a shooting day, right? They would have mm-hmm. to spend countless hours, countless hours cleaning their weapons, right? Mm-hmm. And the guys who you turn in your weapons with, it's clean, they are super anal, right? They'll come up with Q-tips, man, white gloves and Q-tips, check your stuff. And like, <laughs> it, 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 didn't wipe, it didn't wipe white, bro. Like, get yeah. back there and clean it again. And you've been doing this for like hours, right? So I don't know how clean a rifle can get. At, at some point, you're just like... You're well, just... especially if it's a training rifle that it's been used for the past heavily for the past six years by each each group that comes through boot camp, you know? Right. And thrash and trash and beat around and whatever, you know? It's just, right. it's never going to be 100% clean. Right. So, to how, so pe- how people would bypass these cleaning of hours is they'll go to turn in their weapon, dirtiest shit, right? They'll stick a 20 or an X amount of money into the barrel or somewhere where... Only the armor, the guy accepting the weapon can see it. He gets the weapon. He goes to check if it's dirty and he sees the 20 in there or whatever. Like, yeah, it's clean. <laughs> you know, so these That's guys, you know, so think these guys, man, you know, if, if they really wanted to be assholes about it, they could probably walk away with an easy an easy clean out of about a thousand bucks just from guys bribing them to clean it. Right. Can you imagine? And that's for, that's for each shoot day. Right. Wow. Now, now imagine that. Right. So you go days, days, months, weeks without a clean weapon. Right. And then you finally get that sucker that goes, all right, we're not going to take it anymore. You have to clean it. So that's just caked on shit. <laughs> yeah. It's literally got mud, and- mud in the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and you got that, that sorry sucker. Like, God damn it. <laughs> I guess I'll clean. I hate, where did I go wrong in life? <laughs> or or you get the or you get the nugget. You find you find the lowest boot in your uh, in your battalion and make him clean it. Right. <laughs> or the guy who keeps done. who keeps messing up and making everybody pay, then he gets to stay late and clean everybody's weapon. Which has been done. So Which is uh I think fair payment for the amount of burpees. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So going to tech schools, man, uh like aviation maintenance or or any type of trade, anything where you gotta like be professionally um, good at what what a uh, jo- specific job is trade schools are like the gateway like especially for guys like us we've never done anything to this effect i've never touched a plane so much as done anything except riding it you know mm-hmm. so these tech schools man they're the gateway to all sorts of knowledge and a lot of this stuff is very foreign when you first learn it like what's a what now <laughs> yeah well you're learning you're learning all the stuff you see an overall aircraft or helicopter or whatever and you see well i have a general understanding how it goes you know lift versus thrust and everything else but you don't know all the subsystems 
that go to make that thing fly and then the redundancy of those subsystems because if we're flying oh and this hydraulic pack kills itself oh i got another one as a backup you know that i can i can continue on safe flight with you know of course that being said uh people i think a lot of people would be scary to know how much stuff is uh not operational on the aircraft when they get in it and go fly <laughs> that, that also makes me that makes me laugh man especially with certain aircraft like say a ch-53 you know mm-hmm. the buff horse every marine in the world calls them shitters right and the reason why we the reason why we call them shitters is because they leak all the time right Look, like an old harley if, it's, if there's no fluid under it there's no no fluid in it exactly yeah <laughs> yeah and that's the and that's the going um moniker for the ch-53 community is like if it ain't leaking there's no oil but that's a lot. <laughs> you see like this big yeah. puddle of shit. Like. Yep. That's how, uh, that's on the corporate side of things. A lot of the Rolls Royce engines, they burned up fuel though. I mean, they did leak a little, but they burned up more fuel or more oil than anything. And, and you go and like every time the thing would land, you'd be adding half a quart of oil and you're like, Hey, we got a problem with this thing. But then you go and talk with like the uh, field service rep or, or look in the manual, that burn rate's actually acceptable. Yeah. You're like, what? I mean, like, so, so you learn in, in some of those models that there's no oil change interval. There's no so many hours that you have to change the oil because you're cycling oil, new oil through it so much. You're just adding half a quart every time. So it's constantly just, it's changing itself. No need for an oil change because we're always adding new oil. We're always adding leaking, new oil. Yeah. Old shit. I, I had an old Honda Civic that's the same way. <laughs> <laughs> no need for oil change. It's new oh oil every, every few hundred miles. I, so so I had this Honda Civic in six. You, you've seen this car. Uh, and it had the main seal leaking on it. And I knew that about once a month, I had to add about a quart of oil to it, you know. So I, I drove it that way for the longest time. Every time the oil lights start flashing, poop, I'd throw in another, another quart of oil. So I finally decided, like, you know what, I'm going to treat this thing really nice at one point. And uh, I'm going to change the oil. And I pulled the drain plug, and half a quart of oil came out of it. I was like, ooh, God. <laughs> it had just, amount, just as much like, as what you added? <laughs> just, just to keep the light from showing. I was like, oh, boy. This is, uh, that's not good. But you know what? The car still, I, I, I still have it. It still runs good. Just got to make sure you the, add, just got to make sure you add the oil. Oh, and then, then no reverse. There's no reverse in it either. But, you know. I remember, I remember that was the if you're like, going in rever- if you're going in reverse, you're losing the race. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember that you're like, hey, can you help me push my car out of the stall? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, I couldn't find a place where I could pull through. I had to just pull in and park. Can you can you give me a push backwards? Uh, all right. <laughs> mm, oh, okay. It's like why why do you have your foot out of the door? Oh, and you, this is this is my reverse. I'm Fred Flintstoning it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit! We, we were talking. We were talking about your your um, Fred Flintstone reverse car and I was just thinking of like well at least it's reverse you know what I mean if it was forward that had problems they're like that might be a little bit of an issue like you're 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 about to go go from the from the stoplight and then it goes in reverse instead of forward that would have sucked oh my god yeah well so yeah thankfully forward worked uh and reverse didn't because I'd be driving backwards everywhere (laughs) (laughs) it's like is there a way to turn the seat around so like I can see out of the rear view window instead of you, you start getting all the mirrors you're attaching to your truck like some of those jingle trucks in india you ever seen those they have like 1600 mirrors yeah all over it it's like bling to them but you have those so you can start driving in reverse without having to turn <laughs> turn around <laughs> okay so i was saying we, we talked about how you know how you got into your aviation and tech school how i got into aviation tech school now we have shoreline too and he's out in aviation he's in the audio industry but he still had to go to some form of school. So let's, let's hear about his side of it. So other people can know, like, like trade schools are, there's trade schools for everything, right? Carpentry, plumbing, electrical, audio, aviation, auto, automotive, whatever. So let's, uh, let's hear about shorelines. Yeah. So, um, when I was in high school, the Art Institute of Seattle came and visited my school and they were looking to try to tell students like, Hey, opportunities exist in the creative fields and we're a school that does it. So I piqued my interest and and I was debating going to either that school or doing motorcycle mechanics. Oh, okay. So what I ended up going with obviously was, uh, was the art Institute there. I learned audio production, mostly studio stuff. There was some live sound classes, but it was very few and far between. So I found out that, hey, there's lots of work in the live sound industry. So let's try to do that. So I got an internship, did that, and that turned into a job and still work there. You know, when Corona's not around, 
So, uh, Oh yeah. So yeah, that's kind of been a thing, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, there are tech schools out there for everything. There are, uh, there are some schools down in Florida specifically that focus around uh, live sound, which is what I do now. And, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I recommend it for anybody that's trying to be serious about going into whatever they're doing. The issue that I have with tech schools is that a lot of people come out of the tech school thinking they know everything and not really knowing a whole lot. And you, the, the knowledge that you will gain outside of school is so much more valuable than you, than the, than the information that you're going to get in school. Do they call it, do they call it OJT? Do they call it OJT in the audio side of things? Cause that's what they call it in aviation. So on the job training. So like your hands-on experience, real world experience. I mean, you get, you get essentially in school, you learn definitions and how things are supposed to work. Exactly. You know, air quoting here, uh, mm-hmm. but nothing, nothing like you'll learn with just getting out there and getting, getting into it. Well, exactly. And, and I'm sure you guys can, can relate to this as well. I mean, it's one thing to take an ideal, uh, a profession in an ideal situation, like uh, a classroom or a school or a studio in my case, and say, yep, this is how it works. This is everything, you know, signal flow goes point A to point B to point C, but what happens when you're stuck in a situation where not everything is ideal and in live sound for me, that's a lot, right. You know, and how do you troubleshoot? How do you fix that schools in, in my experiences uh, and in my industry, don't focus on that side of it nearly as, as much as they should. Well, it's like, I mean, especially when you're live and the, and the show's going on, you got the audience mm-hmm. going on and stuff starts messing up. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh crap. What do I do? <laughs> well, I mean, even, even before getting to that point, um, I mean, just in the setup in general before the concert. Exactly. Right? Because yeah. you have to, is, does everything have power? You're, when you're dealing with big power and making sure that everything's going right, um, it's one thing to, you know, test a wall outlet and do all that. But it's a whole other thing when you're dealing with, you know, three-phase 200-amp power. I mean, you're dealing with 600 yeah. amps of power to power your audio system alone, let alone yeah. any lighting system that you're dealing with or whatever. But, um, you know, it's it's things that that people don't focus on that you will have to learn on the job and that's okay. The the thing is be open to doing so. Right. There's not a lot of uh, a lot of the experience that I have in the industry with people coming from tech schools is well I know what I'm doing cuz I went to school so everything's fine. Well, okay, you know the basics, you know the fundamentals. You you don't know what's going on. Right. right. And then, and I'm sure each, each, uh, soundboarder, Oh, I don't know all the technical terms for the equipment you go through, but like, then there's different, just like aircraft, there's different models of aircraft and helicopters and whatever else. So I'm sure there's the same thing. There's different models for your sound equipment. And so you go to this venue over here and you're working with something you might not have too much experience on. And so you have to figure that out on the fly. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's what a lot of touring musicians will do or touring, touring engineers, my bad, Mm -hmm. um, is I'm on a different console every night and yet I got to make a show happen. So you just, you have to be able to flex and be able to learn and don't do it with a chip on your shoulder. It doesn't help anybody. And I'm sure that that can be relatable in pretty much every, every industry. And you're literally learning yeah. all this, all this equipment, like just hours before the show, it has to happen. It's like, I've never done this before. I uh, never seen this before or, or it's a new upgrade of something, right? So all the buttons are different or all the, all the tweaks and what have you's are different. Yeah. Or it's, it's a different firmware for the same console. So now it operates slightly differently, but it's the buttons are all the same, but they do something a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the, what you said about the people coming out of tech school think they know it all is I think that's part of the teachers themselves is because they give you so much information, just so much stuff to memorize, to know the definition of, to know what the situation applies for that you won't even use half this stuff. You know what I mean? Well, there's that. And there's also, there's also no limit to the human ego. So you have so many guys that come out, I'm the best, I'm better than you, and I'm going to show it, and I'm going to be your boss in two weeks type thing. And you're like, oh, okay. And then next thing you know, then that goes back to the uh, the, the the lost tool, right? And there's that, that's the guy, oh, sorry, everyone, I kind of lost a thing about a thing, but I got to get out of here, you know? Right. Ridiculous. And uh, I, I do got to give a little to the tech school teachers because, you know, they, you can't cover everything, you know? You can only cover, like, this is what an ideal situation's like, this is what the most common 
problems you'll come up with. And then, you know, there's also an, a, a curriculum where they only have so much materials to simulate a certain problem or, or simulate uh, how things work. So I, I get this, the, that side of it. That being said, again, going back to what I said earlier, like, so you just get so much information worth of stuff in most cases that you either are not going to use ever again, or you're not allowed to use it ever again. Uh, an example was I was had a Honeywell class about a certain class of engine and the instructor was going on so much detail about how the gears work, how the pressure compression ratios work, how the air flows through the engine, what happens uh, throughout the cycle of power and all this and that. And he's giving us all these troubleshooting steps of how to tell what's, what's happening where and why it's causing it. And then we go on to the to the aircraft itself when we're allowed to work on it, and it says you will never do this, you should never do this, and if you do do this, we'll, we'll we can sue you for it. Like, uh, well, that was a complete waste of my life. Yeah, I've I've been in a similar situation. We spent a whole week talking about the gears in like the in the prop gearbox. It was a this was a Pratt and Pratt and Whitney motor, I believe. But anyways, over oh, and talk about the tolerances and the backlash of the dog gear to the sun gear and all this kind of stuff. And we had a test on it. And then after that test, it says, but you'll never do this in your life. This one has to, unless you work at the overhaul facility where this stuff's made and goes back for high time overhaul, you'll never, you'll never touch this in your life. Well, why did we waste a week on it then? I feel like you could have just covered this in an hour and then we <laughs> moved on with our lives. Or just give me a pamphlet, something, you know, like something, a little, yeah. quick, a little I mean, quickie blurp, like, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it was, it blew my mind. I said, we, we wasted an entire week on this. Like, this is what a waste of time. But like, like six, like you said, you're given so much information in such a short amount of time, right? Because the goal, right? These schools still got to make money too. So the goal is to pump you through there, get all the information in, but cram it into as short a time as possible. So in, out, in, out, in, out, time is money. You know, the more people we get through here, the more money we make, and then they sell it to you as, but the faster you come and get out of here, the faster you get to go out in the workforce and start making money too. Right. So, I mean, I, I understand it, but it could be it could be cleaned up. The material dissemination could be cleaned up a lot. Right, yeah. And so uh, back on 6.2, uh, I want to give a shout out to any teachers that may be listening. Uh, in my industry, especially, I the more I learn, the less I know. It's, it's one of those situations where you feel like it's that never-ending journey of, of learning. And uh, thanks for trying to make that happen, even though it's kind of an impossible task. Sure. And and like in, in my school's experience, you had some really good teachers, right? And most of the teachers were guys who were had been in the workforce for 30 years and were tired of crawling in and out and around an aircraft and working on a flight line in the middle of winter or summer or whatever else, whatever ad other adverse conditions. They wanted to kind of be indoors and just ride it out till full retirement or whatever else. And uh, so you got some guys that were really no knowledgeable and knew how to instruct and knew how to, hey, they could, you know, if you worked for them out on the line, you were going to learn a lot from them. But you also had some instructors who were like, hey, I am literally just here to, to wait to retirement. Don't ask me things. I'm barely going to show you stuff. Uh, read this uh, and we'll have a test on Friday. Well, OK, I have a question. Well, sucks to be you. You know, oh, look it up in your syllabus and you'll you'll do fine. Thank right. You. Or ask your classmate. He seems to understand everything. And you're like, OK. <laughs> I, I thought I thought you were the teacher, not him, but yeah. I, oh, whatever, I guess, you know, and then so then you just start counting down days till you get the hell out of there. And then just like, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to be here just so I don't fail and waste my money. And then I'll figure out the real way to do it once I actually get to the to the site or to whatever my real job is. Yeah. So six, when you got to your unit, right, you got out of tech school. So you went to boot camp and then I assume you went to tech school after that. All right, so then you were in tech school for what six six months to a year? Not even, man. Like uh, my tech school was about eight weeks. Oh wow, eight weeks on eight weeks long. That's about fire it. Fire course. Yep, and it's they just went over the basics, right? Like this is aircraft theory. This is what the plane looks like. Here's the library of manuals you're gonna be using, and then here's like a little snapshot scenario of what you're gonna be working on. Right. I understand the the reasoning for that because we need people out there to learn it, to be out, to count as a body for whatever maintenance task or mission task we need for you. But it would have been nice if like you just told me a little bit more of what I'm going to be doing on the day to day besides pushing a damn broom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get that. Right. They say, well, we need bodies out there. Yeah. But even after the eight weeks, I'm still not really 100 percent sure how the system works you've given me uh an eight-week course and i understand the the acronyms and some verbiage 
and uh, some general tasks, you know, like servicing, a, servicing hydros, tires, whatever, you know, fluids. And I feel like I could be more added value if you would have given me some more in-depth. So by the time I do hit the floor, I, I can be, hey, I need you to go... Uh, I need you to go uh, troubleshoot this gearbox leak and this and that. And you go, okay, I have a general understanding of where to go other than, well, I guess I'll start looking here and hope that I notice anything. And then and then you say, hey, I found a lot of fluids and stuff up here. And then your, uh, your chief goes, no, 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 that's normal leak. That, that's, a, that's, a known, that's a known issue. Okay, so what am I really, what am I looking for then? I <laughs> well, wish I knew that. <laughs> we have, we have, yeah, well, we have a uh, above normal oil consumption. Well, yeah, but I'm just telling you, I found the leak. Yeah, but that's a known one. That's not the issue. We, we, that one's been there for a long time. We have more of a problem. Like, well, maybe it's getting worse. No, no, no. It's a new. No, okay, no, no, I guess no. I'll soak everything in alcohol, wipe it down, and see what happens. So, oh, no, but don't use alcohol because it reacts to certain things. I'm like, Well, I wish I knew that, too. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't squirt on here because you'll dry out the seal. But the seal's soaked in oil because it's leaking. Yeah, well, you'll make it worse. Well, well how do I know we, that it's worse? Should we replace the seal? Well, how do I? Not right now. We'll f- we'll figure that out down the road. Oh, okay. Uh, but or or well, there's there's thirty hours left until the inspection where we would change that seal anyway. So just milk it along. All right. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> that 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 don't sound right. But okay, whatever you say, coach. I yeah, mean, we can't you, we can't replace that now because there's no money for it. Well, how are we maintaining this damn thing, anyways? <laughs> oh, good question, there, friend. <laughs> so, but yeah, like you, like exactly as you illustrated. Like, I come out of school, I go to my unit, or anyone goes to their first unit, and that's where you get the term nugget because they're smart, they they know stuff, but they don't know the the aircraft or the material that they're working on because they weren't really touched based on it. Once in a while, you'll get someone who's really smart who just absorbs things like a sponge, but the general person is just going to be lost in the sauce for at least 60 to 90 days just because he doesn't know really what's what other than this is a plane, this is a tool, this is your book, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and that's and that's you're kind of thrown to the wolves yeah. to some aspect because then you got your guy who's been out there in the line for a while and now he's got a nugget working with him and he's not super thrilled about it because he's got a nugget working for him but he knows the frustrations because he was one at one time but he's also got no patience anymore because he's tired he's been yelled at for the last four years mm-hmm. so so that nugget's just going to get just get verbally abused to no end because they're they're running a little slower than that guy is running right. Right. And I can tell and I can tell you, man, like from the time a person or at least in my case, when you hit the your first unit to the time you're actually knowledgeable and useful and you could actually start doing mechanic work and inspections, it's probably like a three month turnaround, three to six months. That's usually the, the average time. And that's for a fast learner. You know, yeah. you got you got, got somebody who doesn't grasp the information as fast as others. Right. We're all different. And that person will take longer. But oftentimes that person gets discarded to the side and just used to do the menial tasks like hey go go empty the the fod cans on the line or whatever else because yeah you know they're like just just out of sight out of mind is how they're viewed you know yeah which and 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 it's not their fault right they just aren't learning as fast as the other ones but it's how the cycle goes in most most trade fields and then you know that plays into people's uh, um, emotions too you know say i'm not learning as fast as i as i can i'm not being given the opportunity to do so so when they say okay now you you can't do mechanic stuff just go count rags for however long and you get told you're a piece of shit for so much then you start saying well what's so bad about counting rags you know and you (laughs) or you start doing other things that you that you didn't originally sign up for and then you just and you just start bean counting like you're doing a prison sentence you know like whatever day one of i guess i'll just go peel go peel potatoes in the galley type yeah. thing you know what i mean that's like thing. You, you get people then they they stop they stop trying and they stop trying to progress themselves and they go fine i'll just uh like you said i'll count rags i'll uh i'll wipe tools down you know, I'll empty the fod cans. I'll do all these menial tasks that not a lot of people want to do, but I'll do those because it'll out of sight, out of mind. I'm still making the same amount of money as that person is over there and doing right. work where, where there's no there's no negative repercussions for anything that happens either way. You know, I'm still making the same as them and doing less stressful stuff. So why don't I do that for my my time that I'm here and uh, get out when I can? You know, right? Yeah, and you know, and which is sad. It is very sad, you know, because then you know your accounting. The, the bean counters up top, you know, they see these guys as mechanics, as technicians, as whatever. So they say, oh, the, the fleet is doing good. We're doing generally good because planes are still in the air. We're, we are staffed as, as good as we can get, right? But 
for anyone who's anybody that's ever done any type of aircraft maintenance, there's never an overstaff of people. You know what I mean? You're always shorthanded for some reason or another. Like you got people, but you don't got people with the right qualifications to do stuff. You yep. know? Yep. I know. And one thing I wish they would teach more more in school is how to how to operate the uh, the ground support equipment. Right. So uh, do more. Uh, tug driving learn how to push a plane before you get to your first obviously you know a lot of places you're going to go work at least in the civilian side they're going to have their own training program too but have a general knowledge so instead of wasting a whole week trying to to learn how to tow a plane or push it around or whatever else especially if it's a big jet because that that's a that's a that's a pretty big undertaking yeah but like you can have a general knowledge and say okay look you're going to have one of these three or four tugs at one of the airports you're going to go and you have these low pro ones right you can swivel 360 they slide in and around under and how to operate that scoop to get the nose tire up in there how to secure it how to push all these kind of things or you're going to have your standard tug tractor tow tractor and this is how you're going to do it there and understand it's a it's a two pivot system right so if you want the tail to go one way you'd be steering the opposite way or something else you know or you got to steer the same way i guess in a two point a two pivot setup but also like a big one for me that i wish i would have learned more was how to run a hydraulic mule you know i'm still kind of weak at that because each mule is a little different and it's set up but you're dealing with such high pressure that you can you can either one destroy the mule or the aircraft if you're not careful and hooking up your uh, connections right to your service ports and all that like you can like you're pushing three to four thousand psi through some of those yeah i was about to say like i've seen some where they can push close to five thousand you know right. picture that if you rig that wrong and five thousand psi goes through the line and you're you know? you're pushing it through the backflow right you're not pushing it through the feed side of the system you decide you're pushing it through the backflow because a lot of aircraft it's the same size connector now a lot of them have gotten smarter and changed the connector size so the feeds the feeds larger than the return essentially for your hydro but there are some that it's the same size and if you get those lines backwards you just destroyed every baffle, every valve, every you know component of that hydro system because you just decided to push the flow in reverse and destroy all the components. Right. So that's one of the things I wish I would have learned more. But also people need to learn, like, again, in your aircraft where there's an oxygen system, the intricacies of dealing with, uh, with O2, pure O2, because that's... That's some. That's a dangerous gas right there. Like mm-hmm. if you have any oil, like you got to be uber careful that your your wrenches are super clean, and that your connections are clean, and that you have the copper proper copper fitting. You can't just hook it up with a normal with your normal uh, AN line. It has to be a special copper copper line to feed it through that has its own little uh, set of like a it's like a filter sort of so to speak for the O2 before it goes into the O2 tanks on board the aircraft right but like learn that system because because man I, you, it can go south quick if, if you if O2 gets contaminated you're gonna have a lot of problems and so whenever I was servicing that no matter if I'd done it a thousand times I was still like, oh my God. Now I would, I would still clean my tools before I would start operating. But I eventually got to the point where I only carried tools that were oxygen servicing only. Right. Like they didn't do anything else. I never used them for anything else but O2. Right. Now, go- going back to what you're saying about ground support equipment, I if you were to hear how the military trains you on ground support equipment, you would laugh. Both you guys, everyone here knows what I'm talking about this. So here's how ground support equipment training goes for the military. And I think this is every service. They give you a 10-minute class on what the support equipment you're going to get trained on is. Like, this is what it looks like. This is what it smells like. This is what you would do to do like a pre-operation inspection, post-operation inspection, etc. And then they sign you off saying, there's your class. See us in 10 days or after you get 10 sign-offs saying that you operated the the equipment and you get your license or you take a test and get your license. That's it. So for me to use uh, ground support equipment that could potentially damage an aircraft and or a person, I just have to have 10 different people sign me off saying that I've used it. And then I take a test and get my license. That's it. So, so it, it's, it's similar on the civilian side. Some, obviously some, some training is better than others, depending on who wrote the training program. But like, uh, 
like you're right you do a 10 minute class and you're one of 50 people huddled around this one piece of equipment and if you're in the back you can barely hear the guy in the front talking because he's not going to raise his voice for anybody because what does he care and then afterwards they sign you up and saying you've been instructed on how to operate this so the next time so then the next time you might have to use that piece of equipment is six months down the road and then you you mess something up and then they got your ass they're they're holding that sign that training sheet in front of you saying you were trained and so now you're there's negative negative repercussions for because you messed up and you're like yeah but holy cow i i was one of 50 when i learned it i barely saw what was going on you weren't going to repeat yourself because you had something more important to do it seemed like that day and it's been six months since we've seen this piece of equipment that's assuming that you had an instructor <laughs> to teach you the class right well right, nowadays, yeah. a lot nowadays a lot of stuff is just like here watch this powerpoint slide like okay and then you do the PowerPoint slide. Of course, you're never going to read it. You're just going to blast through it. Well, or like, yeah, yeah, like a, a computer-based training or whatever. You click, 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 click. Take the, take the little quiz at the end, and you click on the answers 100 times until you get them all right, and then you move on. Right, which is like impossible to fail because it'll never let you go forward if it doesn't pass. So you click on it, and you're like, nope, that was wrong. Click on A, answer, you know, answer A. Nope, that was wrong. B, that was wrong. C, okay, that was right. Moving on. You know what yeah. I mean? You're not really, right. you're not really learning anything per se. Right. And again, again, I get why a lot of places do that. Uh, yeah, the upfront to build those training programs costs a little bit of money, but once they're built, hey, now I don't have to pay trainers or whatever anymore. I've given you a PowerPoint presentation, and uh, we'll use that for the next forty-five years. Even right. if systems are updated and we don't use that equipment anymore, you're still going to have the training on that piece of equipment. Great. Good luck, friend. Pew, pew. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Now, going back to what you guys were saying about teachers or instructors, and when I say at least you had instructors, uh, there's good teachers where you get can just they're just readily able to convey the material to you, and you sponge it all, and you're just able to retain it because he made a personal impression. They were funny. They did something where you can remember it. Vice versa, you get those ones who just straight up suck. You know, like they, it's always that back in my day kind of person. Like back oh, in my yeah. day when, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. when I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, you know, you, you guys don't understand. We had to do all this, this and that. I'm like, you know, and that was 40 years ago. I'm like, okay, so you were the best on an on a, on a airframe that doesn't exist anymore. They don't make any more parts for it. They haven't flown in 25 years. They're Shut all up. in a boneyard. <laughs> yeah, you were you were, you were were the best then. Cool, but you don't know dick all about anything now, you know? And, and for some reason, you're a disgruntled old coot who's now my instructor. It's like, should we mothball you with the plane because both of you are obsolete? Is, is, that, is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just walk yourself out to... Yeah, that's right. Walk yourself out to the boneyard. Get out of my face. <laughs> but I, those are the ones, man, I absolutely have an issue with because they always gotta have they always feel like they have a chip on their shoulder like i'm the best there is i tell you what to do and you're remember you're you came to my world kind of thing like yeah but then you also then then by the same token initially you know for the first few times you're like yeah okay all right i'm new i'm this and that but then after a while and they keep saying but i was the best i am the best this and that and you're like well if you're the best how come you're here teaching right so i guess it goes to that saying those who can't do teach right yeah now some some people that's part of their progression. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're, that's part of their progression. Like they have to teach at some point to get a higher license or a higher qualification or in my case, promotions, you know? Yeah. Right. So sometimes that has to happen, but then you get those men who just don't ever see the fleet anymore. They don't ever see the aircraft actually working or uh, in Shoreland's case, don't ever see the, the sound equipment anymore but yet they're here they are telling you all sorts of shit like they live it all day every day like excuse me (laughs) yeah like what they say is no what you need to do is plug this into there you see the one that says these three letters take that and and put it in there and you're like but that that cable is not here and that maybe in shoreline's case especially for the audio because there's so many cables and stuff going everywhere but no take the one that says jgv and plug it into the one that says scv and then take the one next to SCV, which says FGI, and plug that into HG, HGC, and you're like, but that, none of those are here. None of those letters are here, nor the cables. What piece of equipment are you talking about? And it's, they're thinking of a piece of equipment that they used back in 1975, right. you know, for an Eagles, Eagles concert. And you're like, that, that, that technology is outdated, and they haven't used it since 86. <laughs> we, use HD, we use HDMI cables now, friend. <laughs> it's one plug, yeah. one plug for all. <laughs> you know, that reminds me, man, when, uh, when I'm telling my my parents or my grandparents how to hook up the TV, you know, cause they're so used to like 
the coaxial cable, the red, yellow, uh, oh, red, yellow, uh, white, white uh, cables, yep. you know what I mean? But so when they say like, here's the HDMI cables, one cable for all, just plug that one in and it blows their mind, man. <laughs> it's the funny shit. Every- or, or they try to, they try to wrap a flat screen TV thinking it's like the old fifties one where like, if you hit it, it works. <laughs> oh yeah. Tap it on the side. You're like, that's not how that goes. <laughs> like, boom, oh no. What are you doing? How do I get to Netflix? Press the button that says Netflix on the remote. Which button says, which one's Netflix? The big red button on the remote that says Netflix on it. Press that. Now what do I do? We'll click on your profile. Which one's my profile? Do you see when it says your name below it? Yeah. Okay, click on that. How do I know it's highlighted? Well, it's the only one there, so give it a shot, you know? Just two weeks ago, I spent, my dad must have called me, my, oh, and it was to download the podcasting on Google so he could listen to this podcast. And he called me six times in one day to figure out how to, to try to download that app. <laughs> I was like, you go to the Google Play Store. How do I go to the Google Play Store? <sighs> okay, well, here we go. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the best one, man, is when you're hooking up stuff to your TV, you know, like like sound bars, speakers, a- anything outside of what the TV already has. It's even more funny. And then you try to explain how Bluetooth works. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah, I, I know. Go, it's I, just comical. It's, it's just out of control. <laughs> so you're trying to tell your instructor, like, <laughs> there's no such thing as red, yellow, uh, red, or white anymore. It's all HDMI or fiber optic or whatever have you. And he's like, well, back in my day, this was the best thing ever. So I don't know what you uh, knew you people are doing with this newer technology. So, you know, just start talking shit about the technology or of the time now. Or just the way things have to run now because we've learned our lesson from all the previous shit. <laughs> <laughs> they remember them telling their parents that, look, there's such a thing as an eight-track player now. There's nothing wrong with the old record player. Vinyl's <laughs> vinyl's alive and well. Okay, get the sousaphone out. <laughs> and before that it was it was like radio TV or radio shows, you know. What's wrong with vinyl? The radio, the radio's perfectly fine. Uh, DJ, whatever, is freaking fantastic. And then before that was the telegraph. You know what I mean? Like, who needs radio when you have the telegraph? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Think about think about think. Right, we're just talking about the podcast and stuff. Think about how like there's whole libraries now. Where you just go and download anything you want to listen to. There's probably a subject on, and it's right at your fingertips. Same thing with music. If you want to listen to a specific song, it's right there. Music videos, anything, right there. Whereas back in you know in the, our parents' days, they, if they wanted to hear a song, they had to have the radio FM radio on all day and hope that it got played back. You know into the loop at some point but there's also a thing as actual radio djs which you know radio djs in today's world are told what to play so when you listen to like the radio there's the same 10 songs that are on constant repeat over the course of the hour but you think about the actual radio dj and that they would actually put new stuff on there they were in the mix they knew the new and up-and-coming bands and what was good and what wasn't what you wanted to uh what you wanted to hear you know like mm-hmm. think about that and how how that's no longer a thing no no longer a, a crucial part of radio of course radio is kind of dying out anyways like we said with all the all the download platforms and you can create your own playlist and whatever you want to do yep it's just crazy and you said it right i mean it's it's one of those things where the music industry has kind of shifted yet again to you know it was originally singles and then it was albums and now it's going back to singles that's that's an interesting shift as well and and the fact that these record companies are like hey Radio station XYZ, you're going to play this song and we're going to pay you this much to pay to play this song. Uh, and there's very few independent uh, radio stations anymore. A lot of them are in college towns. We'll, we'll have an independent radio station where they get to choose what they play. And yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's a whole, whole shift, you know. It's weird. Well, imagine like, uh, well, this goes on to Shoreline's uh, line of work. Like 20 years ago, live concerts were all just by coaxial cables. And then say like there was a nick in any of the cables, enough moisture, you're in a place that has a lot of humidity and then all your equipment just starts failing. You know what I mean? Honestly, I think that's more prominent today. Uh, Is it? Honestly, yeah. Um, like you're dealing with so much networking and so much digital stuff that is so prone to to moisture malfunctions and stuff like that. That before it was a lot of uh, a lot of analog equipment, a lot of copper cable that you know is just running from point A to point B, and uh, you might have to swap a cable. Or if I mean, if water or something gets dumped on a console, you, yeah, your show's fucked. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know that, there's no change in that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that with the complexity of technology today it has its benefits don't get me wrong 
um, but it also has its drawbacks as far as uh, reliability and functionality um, of of ease of use and you know ease of getting from point A to point B. Right. Right. Can you imagine, man, if like uh, the concert is like, okay, guys, our, all our equipment took a shit. We're going to have to go Dixie Cup on a string now. So everyone, everyone huddle up in close. <laughs> and that happened, I think, up here. I think it was a Tom Petty concert. Um, they, they really uh, used Dixie Cups on a string? Well, not really Dixie Cups. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, like uh, there was, there was a, a network cable that got severed and all of the lights and video like shut off. Uh, and, and they ended up having to play the rest of the show uh, pretty, pretty bare. Uh, they played a few songs and then got off. And yeah, but it was crazy. I mean, it's wow. it takes one. It takes one thing to to really screw a whole a whole show nowadays. There's there's bigger points of failure. I won't say fewer or more, but there are bigger points of failure. Right, right. And going uh, tying that into the tech schools, right? So there's your single point of failure right there. You know, like everything keys off from this moment. So if you get say that one salty dog uh, instructor who just all about bad mouthing the new process, all about trying to re- reinvent him or recollect his varsity days, say. And he's just putting out that, well, I'm the best there is back in my day. And I know better than you because you're coming to my world. You know, just like killing the progress before it even happens. You know, you're you're essentially dumping water on the console before you're even allowed to have the show kick off. Right. And you actually learn that there's people when you start you know, learning about who that person is saying back in my day, but then you learn that really they weren't anything to brag about back in their day. They were the guy who was messing up all the time. The guy who was causing thousands, millions of dollars of damage because they weren't doing stuff the right way. And that's how they ended up in their, their, this training position. Cause they're like, geez, just get them the hell out of the hangar. You know what I mean? Like he's causing us too much damage out here. So let's go, let's, let's go let him teach the next guys coming out so we can, that'll be the way to fix it. Take the guy who couldn't do and have him teach the next group, you know, like yeah. that never made sense to me, but that's what they always do. They always just stuff the guy off to the side and out of sight, out of mind. Like what could go wrong? What, what could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think I think the whole premise behind it is right is because we've all had guys we've worked for, you know, since we got out into the field and they're excellent at what they do. And they're also excellent teachers. So instead of having that guy off the line in training, they leave him out there to train while also continue working because now I say guy or guy or girl, it could be any either way, but they're just excellent at what they do. They're well-rounded and people like working with them and for them, you know, they, they, they earn that respect to a certain degree. So by that token, right, we've all had people where we go, whatever that person says is golden to me. Cause I know that they're right, you know, and that they wouldn't steer me wrong. And so, and you always revert back to them. Well, I worked with this guy and he said, you should do this, this, and this because of this reason, you know, and when you run into this problem, it's typically this or this. So start here. Cause that's the easier thing to troubleshoot and then work your way to the harder. And yeah. I'm telling you, like when I have guys in my past that, that that's where you build your troubleshooting, um, skill set is from listening and watching those individuals. And cause yeah. to me, to me, a person who's an excellent troubleshooter are they're just so invaluable because right. they they they're like okay I got this problem and I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it. Next thing you know, when you hear back from them, they're like, hey, I, I figured it out. It's this. Oh, fantastic! Or you get the guy that you didn't even know there's a problem and he comes up to you and says, you know, you see, uh, he comes up to you and says, hey, I just ordered a part for such and such. Oh, why? What happened? Well, when we were out there uh, doing, you know, engine runs or whatever else, we grenaded the starter gen, and that was caused by an over over rotation or whatever the bearing seized and this and that. But long story short, they got a trouble shot down. Whatever the issue was, they got a trouble shot down and parts on order before you ever even knew that there was a part. Those guys are excellent to me because you're like, dang, we had an issue and it was resolved and already parts on order before I was ever made aware. Like that's the kind of stuff, especially in control. That's that's where you're like, that's my go-to person from now on. That's who I want to do stuff because they're going to be the ones to make progress and get it done rather than just come and say, hey, we got a problem. Okay, what are we doing about it? I don't know. I'm just letting you know there's a problem. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's the next step? I don't know. I just told you there's a problem. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> or then you got those you got those teachers, especially going back to teachers, you know, like you say, hey, I got a question or I got a problem. And then they start to answer your question or problem with another problem, you know, but it's not something that's relevant to you solving it. It's just kind of like it's one of those like I'm trying to blow you off kind of thing you know like hey uh i can't find the troubleshooting set for this like well hey did you know that there's a, such a thing as troubleshooting yeah you know there's a troubleshooting manual for you to find things about that and like that that doesn't help me <laughs> that yeah. doesn't help me can you at just all. yeah or or you say hey um i'm looking through the uh the fault isolation manual right your fim and you're like hey so so you're showing the initiative that you knew there's a fault isolation manual you have a problem and initial 
steps or viewing, couldn't find anything, you know, in initial inspection, couldn't find anything wrong. All right, well, let me hit up the uh, fault isolation manual and run this system through its whole thing. And then you're going through and sometimes the fault isolation manuals are lacking in their knowledge. Let's face it, a lot of manuals are. Right. And so... Or it won't have like uh, it won't. It'll just be a broad spectrum. It won't have like all the finite, um, like a relay. It won't have each and every relay in the system in there, right? So you might have a faulty relay, which I've ran into. So, but you're going down through. So you're like, hey, um, I checked this and I checked this, but you know, I, both of those components are, are right. But I'm having the problem. Uh, like I've I, I pinned out both these components, or I inspected both these components, and they're both operating normally. But between here and here, there's a break somewhere, and I pin the you know i pin the wire so to speak and it came out good and well oh hey well there's a relay there have you checked that relay yet oh no i didn't know it didn't show the false isolation manual yeah well yeah these manuals are kind of lacking but that's then you have somebody who's really knowledgeable in the system that can say yeah so you were going to want to look at that rather than come in and say well keep looking yeah well that's not like i i am looking like i hit a i hit a wall i need i need somebody with some more expertise as help who can say yeah oh hey check out that relay you know i bet you i bet there's an issue with that and you're like oh okay cool i didn't know that was there it wasn't in the manual it's in the manual yeah or it's in there somewhere right yeah and you're like, but it's, I've looked. <laughs> now, going on the flip side, uh, some of the best instructors I have are, are, and I think you guys have had this too, where it's usually the ones that follow up with you well after you left. You know what I mean? Like they still hit you up or they still like, hey, how are you doing? Just kind of like having that, that uh, continuing the, the education kind of thing, you know, like, oh, where are you at this, with, with this now? How are things going, et cetera? You know, just like really building that teacher student relationship or that, uh, master apprentice kind of thing you know sure yeah you get somebody who generally care genuinely cares about your career and your career progression and your knowledge base you know because I mean? i'm sure he wants to know that he or she wants to know that hey um is this guy you get you call him you know 10 years later oh i got out of aviation after two years and i'm i went to work you know somewhere else not even related to aviation that person would go geez maybe i didn't because i'm sure in their mind it's it also probably is a feel good for them to say hey you know Thanks, thanks to your teaching, I was able. I was actually way more advanced than a lot of the guys that I started with, and now I'm I'm a supervisor, or I'm a I'm a crew lead, or I'm whatever. I'm trusted to go out and work like in corporate side. You work by yourself a lot if you're if you're good, you know, and you have a good knowledge base and you have a good customer build. Like they'll put you on aircraft by yourself. Yeah, hey, I'm running my own truck now. You know, I'm on the road and this and that, and like great, you know, fantastic. I, I did something right in my in my education or in right? teaching yeah. these guys. Whereas if it come back, like I said before, I say, ah, oh, I got out of aviation. It just wasn't for me. It's great. Hmm, man, right. maybe, maybe where did I, where did I let this guy down at? You know, where did I let this person down at? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That, that hit pretty much hit the nail on the head on that one, man. Like, I think that's really it as far as tech schools and the instructors themselves. Like you just got to care about the people you're teaching, you know, like you got to understand that this is the new face of the industry that you're teaching. You know, whether whatever it may be. Yeah, it's almost a reflection on them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, if they get a certain, let's say, like, in the A and P school realm, right, or even military, right, any tech school, military, civilian, whatever. If there's a group of people coming out of there and they are just top tier troubleshooting, uh, system knowledge, active go-getters, finding problems and fixing them on the spot and making sure the job gets done. Eventually, somebody in whether it be a corporate uh, business, right, you know, aviation business, not just corporate jets, but any corporation that works in aviation, and they're going to go, man, we've these group of people are great. Where are they from? Oh, they all came out of such and such school. Dang, let's do more more recruiting there because whatever's going on over there, is benefiting us tenfold over here. So I'm going to stop going to these other places. I'm not getting as good of a product out of, and let's go to these people over here because they're they're shelling out some, some quality maintainers. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So closing thoughts on all of this, you know, like when you go to tech school, any tech school, you're going to get a lot of information. A lot of it is stuff you've never seen or heard from before. And there's going to be stuff that you're going to be taught that you're probably never, ever going to use before or stuff you're never going to be allowed to use. And I think part of that is, is part of the curriculum. So just so you have an idea of like, this is stuff that this is the line you shouldn't cross. But some people really push that. Like they really try to give it to you. Like you're going to be doing stuff like that, but you never use it. And a lot of it boils down mainly to the instructors as well. This kind of goes into the saying that there's no such thing as bad students, only bad teachers. And we, what you were just saying before, you know, like, the instructors who are really good, the ones that really capture the students are the ones that actually 
give a shit about what they're teaching to the people they're teaching to. Granted, you know, you're going to have those individuals who just, they just stonewall. They just can't, can't grasp it. And that's fine. That's when you have to adjust your teaching method to that individual, or maybe this is not the, maybe this is not the right path for that person. Maybe they just, Hey man, sorry, this is just not meant for you. You you start to appreciate the your instructors or your mentors or whatever you want to call them. But when they say no question is a stupid question, but then you also get someone like, well, that was a dumb question. What do you think? But, you know, if they have a group of people and say, okay, well, these uh, eight out of 10 understood what I said the first time, but these two over here didn't understand. So let me re reiterate or re-explain myself a different way that they may understand instead of just saying the same thing over and over again and they're going yeah I, I heard you the first time i'm not getting it right what's the definition of insanity so i think you know you get the guys who can uh, adjust themselves to their students uh are also invaluable because they're they're going to find a way to get that information across because they know that that person needs to know that going down the road for their future for their success Right. Now, for those of you, uh, if you like our show, uh, please uh, like, share and subscribe. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Cancelled for Maintenance on Facebook, uh, Instagram at CANX for Maintenance. Uh, if you like our shows, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cancelled for Maintenance. And we have some cool merch on our shop at cancelledformaintenance.com. But we also like to thank our patrons who's been supporting us lately, uh, like Erica Lamont, Mike Diltz. Thomas Conley, Laura Mance, and Ryan Freshour. You guys have been so awesome. Thank you for your patronage and supporting us. It allows us to keep the lights on. It allows us to keep providing you guys episodes, keeps the gremlins from sabotaging our gear, and it keeps Shoreline happy to do our podcast for us. So if you liked us, please support us on Patreon. Send us a line on cancelformaintenance.com if you have some ideas for the show. Yeah, sure. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, some Q&A, whatever you guys, any questions you might have, we'd be happy to answer them for you. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, send us a line same way and we'll do everything we can to get you on board. And I got one final thought for everyone listening out there, you know, who's gone to a tech school or thinking about going to a tech school. Uh, we talked a lot about the instructors today and, and how that crucial, you know, it is for them to be good at their job for us to be good at ours now but also as a student don't let your ego get in the way uh be willing to learn show up on time and uh whenever somebody explains something to you don't say well i know that because you're going to take somebody who has a lot of knowledge and you're going to close that door and they're not going to relay anything to you because well you know so don't let your ego get in the way and you'll have sure success in your future all right everybody we'll have a great afternoon good day and uh we'll see you on the next episode